And you were considered one of the greatest rock bands in 1997. Well, God help us if we fucking were, because, you know, as far as we were concerned, the you know, being even being called a rock band was a bit of a... a nightmare, really. Why? Because it sucks. Fucking rock music sucks, man. I hate it. I'm just so fucking bored of it. I hate it. It's a fucking waste of time. Hey, it's Brandon. And I'm David. Welcome to Late to the Party, a podcast where we investigate and break down the 1001 albums you must hear before you die, the 2016 edition. You're so lucky. You get to listen to two nerdy English teachers make nothing sound like absolutely everything. Every week, we'll listen to an album from the list and break down why it's worth a listen or a purchase or a pass. This week, we're talking about number 906, Radiohead's Kid A. episode uh what's going on with you brandon can we call it an episode yet <laughs> it's well i mean it's it's in process okay they're <laughs> in the making of it's we're like it's a great start yeah okay it's like year zero doesn't really exist yeah we're just goofing off you like, know? we know but if it's year zero there is no year zero right there's no episode zero so technically pilots? this is episode one what about pilots pilots the first episode are they though i read an interesting caveat was it interesting i read an article don't know where about uh pilots being this actual vehicle that determines whether the show is going to be made which you knew already yeah but it exists separately from the catalog of episodes so there there is in fact maybe an episode zero for some some series so like if it is specifically titled pilot, pilot yeah then you have to consider that to be separate it's different well i'm like yeah i guess because like in things like I don't know, Seinfeld, it's called the pilot, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's, and there's some different like, characters and stuff. Like Jerry's got a different dad and. Oh yeah. And it might there's, be for a couple of episodes, right? Or is it just the first episode? It's I been a while since I've watched this. But yeah, the pilot is just like a test. But they still put it out there. Probably some like Netflix shows out there. They go pilot episode two, but not the Golden Age of TV. But is there any time when the pilot has been produced and then they, redo the pilot for episode one of the television show probably all right well what have you been uh what have you been listening to before we get to our you know title episode the of people the actually showed up that doesn't actually count yeah it's a pilot um doesn't even have if, a title what have you been what have you been listening to you know honestly i've been feeling lazy and uninspired so nothing like new new and maybe it's because of this little project late to the party uh but most of what i've been listening to was released before 1990 and I think I was, I was thinking about this before uh, I came over to record this. And I think what's on my record player right now is Howlin' Wolf's Howlin' Wolf, which Love is it. the Rocking yeah. Cheer album, which you have a copy of. You gave me a, per, uh, a copy for my birthday. I did, and then I had to uh, buy one for myself because I was jealous. It was an album I didn't know I wanted. I know I love Howlin' Wolf, but I didn't know that I wanted that album, and I wanted them. It's, it's well, it's got cool. it's got uh, Red Red Rooster. It's got Spoonful. I think it's essentially. A greatest hits album. Yeah. It's a re-recording of his greatest hits, but those songs all work together cohesively on that album. I, I love it so much. Oh, but that's not what we're here. That's not what we're here. Sorry, uh, <laughs> but I was listening to that, and I haven't listened to a lot of new stuff lately. But I'm really excited about listening to Bob Dylan's new album and listening to uh, Neil Young's Homegrown, which just came out a couple of days ago, but was recorded what forty-ish years ago. I more than that. Like late, like late, 50. early 1970s. I thought it was 60s. No, no, it's after oh, okay. Harvest. Okay. He records Harvest. He basically then goes in to record Homegrown right after it. Decides he can't release it. Releases Tonight's Tonight instead. And then on the beach. And then we're just these little gems. Zuma, right? This is you know? these little gems. Why Zuma. You, this is why you tune in to listen to these little gems. But, but that's knowledge. what I got. What about you? Um, so I gave the new Bob Dylan a couple listens through. Um, I really like it. 
it doesn't, I mean, here's the thing. Again, like I pretend I listen to all kinds of things. Like I know Bob Dylan from like 60s Bob Dylan, everybody else, right? Um, right. And I know he's basically been making an album like every single year since he's been alive, more or less, right? So I haven't listened to any of it, but as middle stuff, you know, the one that came out like 15 years ago that it was like his Modern Times? Modern Times, yeah, that was really good. It's good. But I'm only listening to new Bob Dylan because people are hyping it up and I'm, I fall prey to good reviews, I guess. Um, so his recent his recent uh, offering is really good. It doesn't feel like Bob Dylan. When I say that, it's based off of it doesn't feel like 60s Bob Dylan. <laughs> it's like it's We've like had some periods in between. Yeah, it's like it feels a little bit like. Um, well. I don't know, it's bluesier and his voice feels more, it's more gravelly than, it, than it's been. And he's really old. It feels kind of like almost Tom Waitsy, kind of a little bit. Is that by uh, choice or by necessity? Uh, ooh, well, I, you know, maybe <laughs> both. <laughs> maybe both. Because his voice does sound like it, but also like his songs seem to be, they're not as weird as, as Tom Waits. I love Tom Waits, but... Um, yeah, so that's a good. It's definitely worth a worth a listen. And then I've been actually going back to listening to uh, Rage Against the Machine, which I haven't listened to since I was like in high school. And honestly, it's just so good. Those albums are so good. Um, are they supposed to come to St. Louis with uh, Run the Jewels, which is another album I'm listening to? And they were it was four, be four or yeah. TJ four, um, which I love. And I was like, all right. And also on Twitter, someone all these people are like you know, st stay out of politics to like Tom Morello and stuff. And he's like, have you listened to, he's like, I just want to like, I don't want your politics in your music. And I don't want to like, have, I want to listen to music to escape or whatever. And he's like, dude, like that's literally what our band name is. That's like what all we talk about. Like machine. I went to school to study. Like I have like a master's degree in this stuff from Harvard. And he's like, like this is, this has always been our brand. Also, there's no escape. No, I know. Yeah. How do you separate politics from music? Also, it's music. So by definition, isn't it political? Like art in general is political. Uh, I think Oscar Wilde disagrees with that. But um, he's kind of a okay, jackass. Well, he's, yeah, so. uh, I was th thinking about what you just said about Bob Dylan releasing an album a year since he started. In the 60s, he made an album a year and they were all monumentally important pieces of music. But that, ridiculous. It's, it's also the 60s in terms of uh, production from big bands. It was like He's not it's expected. Band. It's expected that yeah. like you are producing constantly because if you don't, people will forget about you. Right. Um, which the is Beatles were brought to you via speed. Yeah, yeah. Like you had to produce. You had to at least have a song every couple of months, so you could play it on the radio, which is insanity. Which I feel like this would be a good segue into the band we're here to talk to, talk about, not talk to. I wish. Actually, I don't wish. That sounds wholesome. <laughs> That sounds terrible. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, um, is, is Radiohead, which um, is a band that gets a lot of uh, comparisons to the Beatles, either merited or not. Um, but they have a lot of similarities. But in contrast to the Beatles or any of the bands in the 60s, they seemingly had an unlimited amount of time to produce the, their albums. They uh, yeah, like with like EMI and stuff. I think they had like a just do it, just take your time and yeah. do it. It wasn't until later that when EMI changed the management that they're like, our band must go. produce, and they're like, deuces. Well, we're and out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the album today came out. Today came out in two thousand. It's their fourth studio album, uh, which follows a three year. Could you say hiatus? It's not. It's like a three-year. No, they were working. Three-year writer's <laughs> block by Tom York from '97's OK Computer. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Yeah.
I am definitely late to the party on Radiohead. That's for sure. And a lot of it, I'm going to blame on my own prejudice against the fans of Radiohead because they're so, so annoying. Uh, can be, right? Super pretentious. And uh, I was really big in that. Well, you know, I, uh, high school me is not a person I really want to visit again. But, you know, every time some the people that I knew that loved Radiohead they would talk about Radiohead all the time and then talk about like anything you brought up was like not as good as radio and Radiohead. <laughs> and it was like, Oh my God, they're doing it. And, but they could never like describe enough that I would be like, I want to listen to it. Like, what? <sighs> and yeah. then and you, you hear bits sometimes of, of Radiohead out of context and Tom York can come off as super whiny and it's, it's like cerebral music. We're like, I don't want, this isn't real music. This is sounds. Right. And then, and then which, you know, this is fair for better, or for worse, for better or worse, I found out, you know, more research in this album that I was not in the minority here. No, uh, no. that this this album was met with a lot of uh, animosity. So you bring up two interesting points right off the top there. This notion of the Radiohead fan being at certain points such as just unbearable because they worship at the altar of Radiohead, and, and that necessitates you not being able to like another band. Or necessitates you defending Radiohead in any of their musical or non-musical decisions. Otherwise, you're not a true fan or true Radiohead fan. Sure. And so, so I, and I think there's a lot of validity to that. But in terms of not being able to articulate why Radiohead is important, or important sounds pretentious as well, <laughs> why they're perhaps worth a listen or a purchase or a pass if it's not for you. I think maybe this episode, or at least our conversations or reflections of what we heard, could give you a sense of why those people, whether or not they have the language to articulate it, why they feel drawn to that kind of music, or why they feel in particular like drawn to, to Kid A. Because there are some fans of that album who don't actually like the other stuff. Yeah. And well, it's sort of unique in its construction. Sure. It sound anything, well... It sounds a whole like like Amnesiac because they're all the same songs, which comes right after Kid A. But it didn't sound like anything like Hell to the Thief or In Rainbows or King of Limbs after that or Lucia Pool after and that, right? I didn't become a fan or even really gave him a fair shake until, like, you know, the, the hits and stuff. But, like, that was only, like, three maybe that I really listened to when In Rainbows came out and the whole concept around releasing it for free. Right. Right. And I was like, what? Someone's like talking about like, yeah, you know, it's like really cool. And I'm like, oh, these pretentious assholes, <laughs> they don't care because they're rich. So they can just release their album to, to free the people and then get people to pay money because they think their stuff is so good. So like, how do you turn a nice thing? Right. This, this, is this, how, this is how twisted I was against them at the time. But then I was like, all right. I'll give it a listen. And I was like, because I'm like, if it's free, then it's not valuable, right? You know? <laughs> wow. That's a capitalistic mindset, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Come on. I was young. You know, this is, uh, I, I'll, I'll take a look at I'll give it a listen on this internet. And um, I really liked it. I was like, all right, this is interesting. And I think, yeah. and I, I read more articles about them and like the concept behind free and like the, their removal from themselves from like being independent from, from record companies and all that stuff as like a experiment. I actually really liked, um, I thought it was really cool. And then I started going back their discography and giving it a real listen. So funny, they actually, it worked. They made more money be, from me because I was intrigued by this concept of freeness to pay them money for their actual work. And in terms of giving away, giving away music for free, there are other artists who've done that more recently to decidedly different, more negative reviews, right? So Radiohead did that. And most people, unlike uh, our capitalist master David, uh, most people thought, oh my God, this massively important band, self-important band who seems to be sort of detached from their fans and they don't really care about the populace. They've given away their art. They're given away the fruit of their labors. And it's been three years since they came out with an album. So this is a big deal, right? 
People didn't say that when Jay-Z had that release of his album. I forget what the name of the album was. Connected to, was it Verizon's phone service? So there was a new phone that came out and Jay-Z's album came with the phone. And then there was that morning where everybody woke up and if you had it in the iPhone or if you had iTunes, U2's new album showed up. Oh, in your I remember that. Yeah. And there's a special code you have to know in order to get rid. I still have it on. That was two phones ago <laughs> and I still have it. In app, I don't even use Apple Music, and it's still here <laughs> because the motherfucker won't go away. That's okay. That's really inter- I forgot. About, that is, yeah, that's a it's, different story, right? Well, because you there was a choice. It's also better music. It was a choice. That's true. And true. people like yeah, you too, and also like you two at that point of their career was like not Radiohead, in not that at career. all. <laughs> yeah, and there was lots of there was lots of comparisons between Radiohead and you two. But like reverse, like YouTube's yes. been around forever. Like you're going to be like the next YouTube. Or right? you mention the word atmosphere and you do one thing one time with Brian yeah. Eno and suddenly everything yeah. sounds like YouTube. So here's the thing about Kid A. And it, this comes from, you were talking about being late to the party in terms of your relationship to that band and their music. I guess I'm young enough that I can't say I'm late to the party. I didn't listen to, it's just that I didn't know any better, but I didn't listen to 2 OK Computer until my senior year of high school. And I didn't know I was listening to it. I was, my friend was just playing No Surprises over and over in his car. And I should have asked him if he was okay, because as we all know, that's a really fucking depressing song. But I was like, who's this like weird guy? And he's in a fishbowl and there's a music video. I don't know. I listened to that in high school briefly and didn't really think about them until 2000. 10, I guess it was, when for some reason I was on pitchfork.com and I was looking at year end lists of blah, 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 and all of a sudden there's OK Computer. Uh, and I fell down the well with that and I went and saw him live on the King of Limbs tour in 2011 for the first time I saw him twice on that tour. And since then, I've, I've sort of devoured everything they produce and, and wish that I could be a, a member of the band. Um, <laughs> Who would, you know, what I member? Just, would or you could just be? sit next to Phil Zoe. That'd be great. Yeah, you know, okay. That'd be fun for me. Because you're, you're a percussionist uh, enthusiast. Yeah, I got to think for drummers. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. And who doesn't? Uh, it's, it's funny you most mentioned people, uh, most, most people, people don't. Most don't. people don't. Uh, I remember was it uh, Gene Simmons said uh, the only the purpose for drum solos is is to sell T-shirts. You have a drum solo because that's when everybody comes out and uh, selling T-shirts in the audience. Yes. Practical, yeah. Because no one's paying attention to. Well, if, if a band represents Kiss. capitalism anymore, it would be because sure they got um, a lot of Republicans elected. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> What I was thinking, having not been late to the party in terms of experiencing them when I was supposed to, right? Like I was 18, 19, 20. That's around the time. Like you get all angsty with certain bands. Or it's, it sort of cements itself. What I'm, what I'm continuously intrigued by with Kid A, having first heard it in 2010, is the historical relevance of it, right? The, the audacity of band at the height of it, seemingly at the height of its powers in 1997, Seeing what that looks like when when everybody loves you, critics, fans, everyone decides you are the second coming of the Beatles, right? Which that guy says in his Pitchfork review of Kidding, right? You are the best band alive or you are at least like that other band who is the greatest band ever. So they they have that happen with OK Computer and then they completely demolish that process, right? They totally blow up the image of what they are as a band and they intentionally disavow themselves from everything that worked in the past, but everything that was popular. When you say they, was it? Tom York. So he was him driving it, like, but I, you know, he was, I know that he's like quoted as saying like, um, the life, the life of a rock star is boring. Sure. That it's repetitive and predictable and he didn't want to do that. Um, but, but think about what they were doing though. And when I say they, I, I primarily mean Tom because he's, he seems like the engine that that has the he's the idea engine right and that's not to say the others aren't equally as important it's just his part is sort of to get things started he comes in with all these because he is but I don't think that he was he was alone in his distaste for the era of OK Computer if you look at if you watch Meeting People is Easy right the documentary yeah. all of the people on that stage who are performing look like they've had their souls sucked out of their bodies because the songs don't mean anything anymore, right? Like they're, they they need to sort of run away from this giant that had come to own their lives. It wasn't about their music. And I don't want it to sound frilly, but if you play Karma Police 
900 times in a span yeah. of well, three years. 10 years of teaching Gatsby in a row, which I love Gatsby, but like... Hell, I sometime. talk to Beth four times a day. <laughs> right. For it's, two years straight. Right. Eventually, you're just like, oh my God. Yeah, like you have to like reinvent... You, you have to reinvent it <laughs> yeah. somehow or like... Yeah, reciting Shakespeare off, the, off your cuff is not impressive at all. But they were doing that in front of millions of people, right? Who were expecting them to produce OK Computer Part 2, right? They chose to cut and run. And in doing so, even the cut and run towards something else completely different. And in doing that, they pulled off an album that arguably outshines... OK Computer, which most people consider the greatest album of the 1990s, right? And that's not even close. Like, OK Computer is probably the best rock album, conceptually, critically, popularly, of the 1990s. It blows everything else out of the water. I don't know about terms of sales, but in terms of gravity of importance or reimagining what a rock album could look like, they did that, and then they said, yeah, that was cool, but now we need to go do something different because we don't like this anymore. And I'm always intrigued and extremely respectful of bands who are willing to take that kind of risk, a risk that could, and I don't mean this dramatically, could end with the, the disillusion of your band, right? And, and we saw, maybe we'll talk about this later, but we saw that it wasn't a good process. It wasn't easy. Oh, they struggled for most of it and they almost didn't pull it off. But I, I appreciate going in saying that was great. 1997 through 1999 was cool and we're successful and they appreciate our music and that's not who we are anymore so let's put that to bed let's actually bury it and try something else it is it is it is really gutsy (laughs) and also though they they did have the leeway of their record company to right to give them as much time and space to create i mean didn't they they produced this and like recorded this in like three or four different locations like all over the world like just like all right we'll pick up and yeah we'll pick up why were they able to do that you know, you have an answer. I have a few guesses. Oh, I I think because <laughs> they're able to do that because OK Computer was so good commercially that right. they they bought themselves leeway to. It's like uh, it's like when directors, I guess, like make a couple pop, pop popcorn flicks yeah. and then make their serious art piece. You know, for them or the Beatles from nineteen sixty to nineteen sixty four. Right, you got to build yeah. a. You build, now she loves you. You build a base. <laughs> yeah. And you make a ton of money and then the people will just, all right, do whatever you want. You're the, you're the geniuses. So they use Uh the commercial viability of OK Computer, critical and commercial viability of OK Computer to run in the opposite direction of that album. This album had to be made. It needed to be made. You can see bands in terms of phases and they talk about it explicitly sometimes and sometimes the albums just sound like each other and you can sort of chop them up, right? Like we all know this. OK Computer is the triumph of Radiohead phase one. Right. You have you have the empty optimism of the mid to late 90s and things like uh, letdown or electioneering or climbing up the walls. I mean, it's pretty fucking explicit how that album feels. That's the pocket. Right. That's the best rock album Radiohead's going to produce. And the millions almost over. Uh, when you get to the end of the album, you also start getting the sense of this dread about the looming, looming new millennium. So. OK Computer does its job. There's nowhere else to go. If you're going to make OK Computer Part 2, it's going to sound a hell of a lot like the original, it's and the, that's not something the band could tolerate. It's the perfect Y2K album. Right, it is. It, I'm not sure they meant it to be that com- that advertisable. Well, I mean, but art reflects the you know sure. life, and, and that's what's going on, and that's what everyone's thinking about, and those anxieties... Yes, they are very much of of Tom, of of the other members, too. But Tom was having all this specific anxiety around just like having to tour and having to right. interview and having to market his own stuff and the photos and all that. Like every it was not fun. And then they were also like physically just deteriorating. Right like wasn't like was it one of the was it um, Johnny whose ears were bleeding on stage? <laughs> yeah. He had to wear like yeah, he also like broke his wrist. Yeah, he didn't wear like industrial. He didn't break it. It was severely strained. <laughs> or like yeah, like carpal tunnel or something. But like that's the worst thing that could happen to a guitar player. There's a picture. There's a, there are images of Johnny uh, Johnny Greenwood on Ben's era. It's like ninety four, ninety five, and he's playing. Like the guitar solo for My Iron Lung, which is really crunchy. And he's just sort of like viciously 
strum, or, uh, like strumming his electric guitar. And he's got, because he's sprained his wrist, he's got this apparatus that's like up his arm. Are you looking at it right now? Yeah, it's, it's up his arm yeah. because it has to remain stable. I saw it and then it was like Velcro. And, uh, yeah, like <laughs> yes. that's when you can't, when the, the thing that you're doing is destroying you. And that was a 95. That you love. Right. <laughs> So how are they still playing? It's 2020. I don't get it. I think they started playing smarter. Well, they, well, here we go. Yeah. I mean, this is part of the album too. Is that they are almost like there is no guitar, or it's like it's well, used. It's used in a very, very different, different way, right? It's or you're not bringing this, guitar sense, guitar sensibilities to different instruments, right? So they they authoritatively outperform every band in their same class in the 90s, right? They produce the best album of the 90s. So I'm talking about Oasis. Right. Who by 1997? Okay, you've you've had what's the story? Morning Glory. They're not they're not dipping at that point, but there are signs of fractures by 1990. Yeah. Even by 98, Oasis yeah. is like, can, how long can they hold on before they fall apart? They were not. There were no new heights before that. Maybe bigger shows, but as far as artistic pro- productions, they're, they're also done. volatile individuals. Right. To be- <laughs> and and live they were fantastic. I mean, I saw them as late as 2005. And they were still great. But in terms of what's the next phase of our life as a band, they weren't doing that. Blur wasn't really doing that. Radiohead was just getting started, right? And and my, I think my overarching argument is that this album, even more so than OK Computer, is so important because if it had failed, I don't think I don't think Radiohead would be a band. I think if if they and by failed I mean if they could not have done it the way they wanted to if it had been a failure in the recording studio I, I think they would have dissolved because you have the pressure of okay computer living up to it you have the want to run away from it you have the the fraught writing process during the kid a sessions you have the most of the members weren't convinced no, right. they well, they weren't convinced, but they were trusting. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is well, I mean, it's really hard. That's really hard. That's a lot of yeah. faith. Like, if you don't buy into something, trusting. I mean, that's like literally any human scenario. Like, right. you just if you're you just trust somebody. That's so hard to do, especially yeah. if you think that like this feels wrong. <laughs> like, from my perspective, you're trusting them with the health. You're trusting Tom York with the health and viability of your life as a band. Yeah. Yeah, when you like, especially when you know something, when you know something works, yeah, and is incredibly successful, and be like, nope, scrapping it. So for that alone, massively important, eternally fascinating to me. I think this is also one of the albums where people are going to get into like tracks and stuff, favorite tracks and and highs and lows, and but there is this, you know, I guess almost is like a like it's like anti intellectualism when you like. Maybe that's part of maybe that's part of the reaction to Radiohead fans. It's like if you listen to something, like you just don't get it, you know. It's like yeah. you just don't get it, and therefore you, there's like this wall to keep you off from listening and appreciating their music. So I mean, a lot of the reviews that were negative against it were like it's pretentious, self indulgent. You know, this is right. this is ex- that they th- you know people throw around the term experimental, which I dislike tremendously. Um, because I feel like it's just like they don't know how to call it, so they just call it experimental. If it's not, mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel like this isn't a, this isn't a uh, cookie cutter rock and roll, then it's then it's um, alt or or um, yeah. So I, I think that uh, well, what was I? Where was I going with this? I guess this album, listening to it and not for what you expect it to be for what it is, is really hard. And when you start, mm-hmm. but when you start doing that and listening to it also as an album, I think half of these songs are hard to listen to out of context, like making a playlist out of order. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Even out of order. Um, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. So, which pretentious or not. Right. Um, but you see, seeing this as like a whole piece, which is again, very Beatles and very Abbey road. And, yeah. and, like listening to the medley from side to Abbey Road is you can't listen to one section of that. It seems silly and stupid and also not a full song. And yeah, it's like this short. feels it's short, short and it feels incomplete. And this is a lot of songs that are incomplete mashed together, right? Mm-hmm. Even like tracks mm-hmm. themselves are a mash of the lyrics themselves. Yeah. Are just like it's, cut up strips. It's, it's like David Bowie quality, right? You cut up strips uh, of words and 
put them together. Or like, you know, what they, they, uh, the talking heads too. It's like, it's a mixture of like some cliches and also like just really weird. Where'd you park the car? Like, you know, like something like super weird, just like repeated over and it doesn't seemingly mean anything, nor does it seemingly matter. Yeah. And I know that they, they also like, decidedly not publish the lyrics separately on the because they wanted it to be seen as the same not without the other the music and the and lyrics had to be together and a lot of you know music and words that are the music themselves go on genius.com <laughs> right. and see all the meanings of, of it and then all of a sudden I'm going to have this extra understanding that hidden messages also if I play it backwards then I'll join a Satanist cult I do have this um, like this strange sense of our it's the, the the public's reception of OK Computer that leads to Kid A, right? Mm-hmm. If, if Kid A, we just talked about this in the reverse, but if it, if Kid A had not been successful or had not motivated them to go on tour for so long, that w- that album would not have come about, right? But then I, I start thinking about, and maybe this is so esoteric that we'll eventually cut it, uh, but I start thinking about the relationship between the artist and the listener. Yeah. Right. So in a sense, if we're going to sort of self-aggrandize, we loved their songs so much on OK Computer that we caused them to sort of mildly resent those songs. (laughs) And how and that that brings up two questions for me. What is my responsibility as a as a listener, as a sort of intelligible, well-intentioned listener who only wants to show a band that I love them? And also not push them in a way that makes them hate their art so much that they blow it up again. Because who, I mean, who's going to, who's going to come back from that as well as Radiohead, right? You yeah. know what I mean? Well, it's, it's funny too, like the idea of like them going to concerts and everyone knows their words and they're singing to them and they're like, you know, that's part in, the, in, in that documentary too. He's like, even like just holds out the microphone, doesn't look thrilled, singing, yeah. but he's just like, yeah, you sing it I'm because boring. I don't want to need to do this. Apparently yeah. I don't need to sing my own art because apparently you're going to do it. He had a very similar you know, it reminds me a lot of like Kurt Cobain too. Yeah. Like the sickly, skinny, he hates what he's doing, but also like that's what he has to do because there's nothing else. You know, like I remember reading like an, like an interview with Kurt Cobain from Rolling Stone be- like two months before he kills himself, right? And it's like, he's like, I can't eat because I have stomach problems. And so like, mm-hmm. I barely eat anything ever. I'm in pain all the time. I'm miserable. And I'm seeing like rich douchebags like blaring my music from he's like I hate all of this and then he would just say I just want to be an REM <laughs> which so did Tom York so exactly like REM just has like this cult like to other you know cult like personality to other bands because that so was it between was it during OK Computer when was when were they they were tour with REM yeah when I think was, it was OK Computer they, they did some dates with Alanis Morissette their touring with REM might have been before OK Computer was released it might have been like Benzy into 1996 and I, I would have to look and I will look it up Tom York sort of like we talk about worshipping at the altar worship the altar of Michael Stipe it's right? so weird like isn't that is, do you find that weird like that R.E.M. No. has that kind no you don't I don't I, think, I, I think, grew up with R.E.M. Okay. Like, I was dancing to Losing Our Religion well, sure. in 1981 sure. when I was two <laughs> a picture of me in like a in a, a suit so I have suit pants I think it's like Easter I have suit pants I have like the baby onesie white t-shirt and my grandmother who took the photo tells me that we were listening to uh, R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion and then Stevie Wonder's Greatest Hits after that. So what a harsh. Well, Patricia Dalton does not suffer fools and she gives a full (laughs) education as far as music goes. That's a harsh turn, though. It is. Losing My Religion to Stevie Wonder. Um, Is it? I don't know. uh, But yes, people love rock stars of that ilk Kurt Cobain yeah. Tom York they love Neil Young and they okay, love yeah. Michael Stipe of R.E.M. Michael Stipe man you know I saw him I remember when I see when I was two I probably saw him on Sesame Street because he was on Sesame Street singing his song do you still have hair? Uh, no 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 he definitely did not have hair isn't one of the lyrics in here is a mantra that he got from Michael Stipe I mean it's yeah this uh, isn't happening you're not here this isn't happening Right, I'm not here. This is I'm not here. This is not happening. Yeah, and that's, not, so that's the mantra you got from my, yeah, you got it from Michael how Stipe. How to succeed in business without really trying? How to, how to lose friends? And, <laughs> <laughs> how to lose a guy in ten days? <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
there's like little bits of like mantras or quotes that he just repeats over and over again. And also seemingly, I don't know, it, everything works and doesn't matter. But it also like, can you can imagine them? Sing, I mean, I guess you could probably imagine them singing anything else, which is also another part of the pioneering of using the Internet and all that stuff to market their album, which is one of the first albums to do so. Yeah. Right. So like this, this album is, is revolutionary in so many, so many ways that it truly is happens to be in 2000 and made in the late nineties, but it really is the first album, great album of the 21st century. And sets up, you know, how albums are thought of and made yeah. today. Do we have any other tidbits or trivia we wanted to, to add before Tins we get into bits? No, I think that's setting up the, the long setup for the brief breakdown. I think that's it. It's just I, as a person who's heard this album, I don't know, 10 times in the last five days and dozens and dozens before this this listening session, I still, I now have a greater appreciation for why it came into existence, the album why people loved it or didn't love it, I guess I should say, came to love it and how it sort of sprinkles itself into the music that we're listening to now 20 years later. Uh, and that's not something that I was consciously pondering or reflecting on in any of the, the times I listened before we started this this mess of a podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, also, I also think that this album either opened the doors for other types of music that I wasn't normally open to. Yeah. And also realizing that I was into this music kind of before. If you were to describe this album in a couple of words. Gosh, I don't know. I should have done that. I was thinking like atmospheric and not robotic. I mean, kind of robotic. It's robotic. It's, it's, robotic. it's robotic in its way of like what, how it's produced and the beats and stuff, but also the voices returned robotically or at least, at least electronically. But yeah. It's like alt rock and pop keep getting thrown on this and that doesn't feel right either. No, it's not a pop album, but they talk about it being a pop album. Like, like it's, it's like trolling talking, them. Though. I know, but it's like, it's like talking heads being pop. Like it's not pop. It is pop. It's like, if you listen to it now, it sounds like pop, but if yeah. you listen to it in 1980, but David Byrne was saying that he's making pop. So now we just talk about what pop is. He said that I he was making God, if we start talking about Roy Lichtenstein paintings and pop art, I'm going to walk right out of here. <laughs> what is pop music? Broadly appealing to the masses, but also talking about things that I would imagine, like it's talking about things that like literally every single human being can relate to. So you think... Wow. And I don't wow. think that... And wow. I, no, no, I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> and I'm just looking for clarity. They're interpreting it, it's a literal, biblical interpretation of the word pop. It's popular. So we deal with themes and ideas that are universally important or Like a Taylor relevant. Swift is pop, right? Yeah. You, well, yeah. you know, it's like straight, so it's pure Spears. pop. And Michael Jackson, pure pop. But you're gonna put you're gonna put Michael Jackson and Radiohead. You gonna put Michael Jackson and Radiohead in the same house? No, I wouldn't. But like, he so he's just saying he's pop music because he's trolling. I think but so. How can you be pop music if you are selling? How can you not be popular music if you're selling millions of albums? That's that is the answer. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, but I have a bastardized understanding of what pop music is, which is Britney Spears. But that is pop. I mean, there's different layers I'm of pop. There's like bubblegum pop, and then there's call it, call it a myopic understanding of what okay. pop music is. All right, and hey, you know, Britney's got some good songs. I didn't sound like Britney as a um, gay man who was coming of age <laughs> near the end of, of the height of the Britney Spears era. I love Britney Spears. I remember being aware of her in the seventh grade. I'm sure you were, and I was late to the party on her too. I'm sure um, you were. <laughs> I, I remember. I remember in seventh grade, this kid in my class was like obsessed with Britney Spears, and I was like, I thought, honestly, I was like, oh, he's a hot. She's she's a hot girl that like, you know, is in a popular movie. So I was like, oh, she must be the girl 
this is based literally on no knowledge or viewing of this. I like, she must be the girl in varsity blues. Cause I saw the trailer <laughs> and the trailer has her like in whipped cream or whatever. What, what, right. That's Remember this? Not her. I know it's not, but I was like in my seventh, seventh grade brain. I was like, <laughs> Britney Spears is the girl from varsity blues. No logic or any evidence supporting this, but I'm like, Oh, yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> and I'm like... To yourself. Yeah, to myself. I'm like, oh, yeah, like whipped cream. I said, I think I said whipped cream. And <laughs> they're like, yeah. yeah. they're like, yeah, I guess. And I was like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. And then, you know, this is before Google. So, you know, I just was led to believe that this was the girl for probably several years. <laughs> I'm like, the part, but like, you know, well, we have to pretend that we know shit. So... Uh, I pretended that you were Britney, who again was like, and this was oops, I did it again, <laughs> right? Uh, or hit me baby one more time. That was what that was it. Hit me baby one more time, which is her, school her first, yeah, her first, which is something that I was at a Catholic grade school. Like, I should have been like zoned into this, but um, no, I was completely. I didn't have cable television. I didn't have Jack, so um, I had no sense <laughs> so of what this. At David's all. saying is that we're doing this hard work for you, so that you don't have to. And yeah, no, I mean, I'm talking from, <laughs> I am one of you, listeners. I am you. I am you. Vote for me because I am you. I am late to the party on so many things, but I act like I know everything. And if you haven't figured out by now, we'll eventually talk about the rest of Kid A, but this is really just an opportunity for David and I to hang out <laughs> and talk about all the things that we find interesting. <laughs> And you don't um, have to listen, but we appreciate that you're here. Yeah, I mean, if you've made it this far, you really I mean, do. what's wrong with you? What are you doing right now? So our wrap-up evaluations, which we have are arbitrary, obviously, but, you know, some things, it's not going to, we're not going to rate them on a 1 to 10 or 1, would you buy this on vinyl? I have. It is the only, <laughs> it is the also, yes. It's how we listen to it I yesterday. think you should. It's how we listened to it yesterday. It is, there's like two tracks per side. I love how it's cut up. It is the one Radiohead album that I own on vinyl. I also own Tom York's Suspiria, thanks to Brandon. <laughs> Uh, which is fantastic, but also depressing and sad. But um, I love Suspiria, both versions. So yes, I highly recommend that you should do that. I would recommend it as well, and I've had the opportunity on multiple occasions, and for some reason I haven't. So I, I own OK Computer. I own King of Limbs. I own... There's a third. Oh, Moonshade Pool. So you own three radio albums, but not this album? I bought OK, OK Computer intentionally. I, I wanted it. I bought Moonshade. Well, actually, Braden bought Moonshade Pool for me because I was feeling sad. And he thought that would make me feel better. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> um, I bought King of Limbs because I liked it a lot. And I think King of Limbs from 2011 doesn't get enough credit. It's actually... It's a groove forward album, and it doesn't really give a fuck about guitars. I think there's there's strong songs on that album. Anyway, I can't I speak that, on it because I'm late to the party on that one as and well. It's probably but, on your list. Um, but yeah. I bought that album because I, they didn't have a copy of Kid A. The other times, mm. Kid A was there, and I made different choices. So I agree that it's probably worth. It's definitely worth owning on vinyl. I just haven't gotten there yet. It's possible gotcha. with recording ends. I'll it sounds fantastic order too. It. Like the the pressing, the the repressing of it is is fantastic. We listen to it. Um, relevance and significance high, high, incredibly high. Um, we've talked about it. It's like the perfect. It's like the album that defines the 21st century before it even happened. Predicts a lot of stuff. Um, incredibly influential of what music can be, and also what major bands can do. 
Um, yes. And still maintain an incredibly high popularity. That fans are wanting that. Fans are needing that, I think, is... But they didn't know they needed it. Right. They didn't know it. Or they were getting it. Yeah. So, like, to be brave and experimental, if you want to... I hate... I still hate that term, well, experimental. Okay. But... So, I wrote this down, and I, I hesitated on whether to bring it up because I wasn't sure if it was even relevant. But you, when you study as two English nerds might at some point, when you say romantic poetry, you eventually come to John Keats, right? And Keats talks a lot about this notion of negative capability, which it sounds like he made up just to sort of stroke his massive ego. Can you have a massive ego when you die in your late 20s, early 30s? I don't know. Anyway. You met a 20-year-old? Um, <laughs> yeah, right? But anyway, he talks about negative capability in the sense it's a, it's a simple concept, right? Like artists experience and encounter, observe, interpret human emotions and human relationships differently from everybody else, right? And their, the manifestation of those encounters is their art. People, they hated Kid A, they hated. They didn't really love Kid A when it first came out. But for me, that's just a sign that the artist often outpaces the audience, right? Like they, they tell them what they like. Yeah, they establish the culture and then we spend some time catching up and parsing out and then sitting with whatever this new aspect of our cultural relevance sure. is. So for that sense, it's extremely relevant because they decided this is what you actually, this is what you're thinking about and this is what you're feeling. And these are all the anxieties that you have about pre-2000 and post-2000. And these are the sounds that you're hearing in your, hearing your head or disparate sounds on the internet that you want to actually know more about but haven't had the opportunity. So we're going to give you what you don't even know you want. That's what it feels like to me sometimes. So if, if they have that kind of prescient thoughts, the relevance of this album is, is astronomical to me. It set the table for at least 10 years. I mean, does LC down, LCD sound system produce the same albums they do? If Kid A doesn't come out in 2000. I think they produced their their first album in 2000. Right? Like, does that music sound the same? I know it's New York and I know that they are so like New York City pretentious. Very. But does that sound mean the same? If uh, the leader of LSU's sound system, Murphy, what's his first name? James Murphy. Does James Murphy, who also listens to Kraftwerk in the same way that Tom York does... Does he arrive at the same results with LCD sound system if, if Kid A doesn't exist in the world? Hmm. I don't think so. And he's never talked about that. And maybe that's a spurious connection. But I think it's relevant to me. Ah. Sky high relevance. Okay, sky high relevance. Which I think we both agree on, yeah. Best time um, to listen. What's the... Oh, perfect. Yeah, yes. best time to listen, perfect occasion. I immediately thought it has to be dark outside. Before work, so like 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., or 5.30 a.m., when I'm driving to work, this feels like, which honestly, when you think about it now, after we've talked about, like, this is a horrible thing to, like, set the tone for your day, and also <laughs> teaching children, but maybe it's also very, you know, accurate. For a while. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really great for that. I put down two different scenarios. The first was summer night, dark, fast car, windows down, volume way up. The second scenario is, is much closer to yours. It's early morning, it's dark. Again, you're in a fast car, the windows are down, the volume continues to be up. But there's a there's there's an isolation factor for for me too. I'm not sure I love listening to it with another person. I think for me it's a it's dark and I'm a, it feels emo-y in that sense that I I want to be detached and withdrawn because those it. are some of the concepts. I get it. Favorite track, I think... Even Hedgen. Honestly, I just want to say Tree Fingers just to be... Do it! But that's not... It's not true. It's not true. Well, fair enough. And who was is gone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I, I think I really loved... I think How to Disappear, I think, is probably my favorite track. Yeah. 
We already know that everything then, he writes is right yeah. place his mind, but that's good. And I, I think the track I hated most is, or not hated most, but track I dislike the most is is in Limbo. I just can't. It's too much. But that's because of your emotional response. Or yes, that is because. Yeah, it's not because I think it's bad at all. I just like if you're if I we're making a choice because we have to make a choice. I think that that song drives me bonkers. Well known that it's tree fingers for me, <laughs> and I fully acknowledge. It's because of a, a, a kind of ignorance that is perhaps vincible, but maybe not. MVP of the album for me is the drummer. Well, that's not Tom York. That's not Tom York, right? Um, he didn't make that distinction. Well, I do. I, I want to agree with you because I do believe it. <laughs> but also, I also want to disagree in yes. order to, to give a different response. Which is appreciated. Um, but... I really do think like that's the the way the drumming has to exist in this album is incredibly different than any other album that's existed before. Uh, well, more or less, especially for this band. So the fact that what he has to produce is possibly counter to what he is used to or has studied. And I think that is most obviously impressive. Tom York obviously is the orchestrator of all this stuff and, and, the, and the main motivation and ringleader to all of the the what's being produced here but i, I really do think phil's drumming is is quite good it's so good um when you notice drumming it's either a really terrible thing or a really awful thing <laughs> right true. um so but more often than not i think it's a really great thing when you notice it it's like holy crap like that's that stands out drumming can be something that's just like a given uh and what he does is more than that so in many ways so morning bell the highlight of that last question that talent where does this sit in their catalog for you this is my favorite album of theirs but i'm um, again like to the party of radiohead so how much i really do like in rainbows a ton and that is because that's on uh, list it's, right it's, well yeah okay on the list um i can give you the that's which okay um <laughs> <laughs> so i think that it's fantastic yeah, that's why it's the one album I own. By there, yeah, by, by that. Well, hell's bells. I think we did it. We we appreciate you listening. Uh, if we had a Twitter, we'd ask you to drop us a line at hey, our, you know, maybe, at our Twitter. Maybe we will. We have a tech guy. We have a Spotify account, which we might start putting some things on. Who knows? You know, these are big dreams that we have. Yeah, um, big dreams. But and I think a, long a Twitter, list. a Twitter, uh, Instagram could be pretty interesting. Who knows? Maybe we'll get to that. It could be. So our next album. What is our next album? Well, that's a great question. Frank Sinatra's Oh, The Wee Small Hours of the Morning. Because I have no uh, knowledge of that album. So number one, in the Wee Small Hours, period, or not period, in the Wee Small Hours from 1955, Frank Sinatra, which might do own in vinyl. So it's going to be a completely different conversation. Totally, because I know nothing. And also, it is not... Like Radiohead to Frank Sinatra. It's recent. It's yeah. He was dead when this when Radiohead came out with this album. Yes, he was. Um, so yeah, that'll be next <laughs> week slash month. Who knows when we'll get this? <laughs> Who knows? We'll get this done eventually. But uh, yeah, come. Thank you for listening to Late to the Party. I'm David, and I'm Brandon. And uh, maybe you will not be late to the party after listening <laughs> to this album we'll do better next time thanks for listening bye